Welcome to the Cookery by the Book podcast with me, Susie Chase. My name is Kendra Aronson, and my cookbook is called the San Luis Obispo Farmer's Market Cookbook. How did you get the idea for this cookbook? The San Luis Obispo Farmer's Market that happens on Thursday evening every week is really well-known nationally and internationally. We draw in crowds of 10 to 20,000 per week, depending on the season. So it's a well-known and well-beloved market. And I really wanted to create a cookbook that celebrated this community event. And at the time I was living in San Francisco and I came across the San Francisco Ferry Building Farmer's Market Cookbook and I really loved the concept and the idea of it. It was a smaller format book um, that was basically geared towards taking it with you to the local farmer's markets and it was a produce buying guide and it highlighted producers and I just really loved it and I thought, oh, San Luis Obispo could use a book like this. So I started to research other titles similar to the San Francisco one. And it turns out that Los Angeles and Santa Monica and Seattle and other other towns that had a big farmer's market scene, they all had their own farmer's market cookbook. So San Luis Obispo was just ripe and ready to have its own book. Describe some of the elements that you wanted to include from some of the other farmer's market cookbooks. I basically cherry-picked a lot of ideas and elements from the other books that I found out there and then created my own. So, for example, I really love food photography and images, and I like to know what the meal is going to look like. I like very photo-heavy books. And so um, not many of them had that element, but I knew that I wanted mine to have that. So there's 60 seasonal recipes There's a photo for each recipe, so 60 recipe photos. Another element is I liked the large typeface. It's really easy to read and just easy to use. Um, Another element was the profiles of producers. So in the back of my book, I have 40 short stories on local farmers and local chefs. So that was a, a borrowed idea from one of the books that did little mini, mini paragraph profiles on producers, but they didn't have images associated with them. So I knew I wanted to add photos and make larger stories. Um, what else? Oh, I liked that all of these farmer's market cookbooks, they were organized either by ingredient or by season. And so mine, I divided it by seasons, four seasons. Within each season, there are 15 recipes And then it's subdivided into categories of breakfast, light bites, lunch, dinner, and dessert. So I kind of took a bunch of different elements that I liked from the farmer's market cookbooks that were already out there, and then I I put it into mine. So you did all the food photography. Was that a huge (laughs) learning curve? Um, I've, I've always been drawn to photographing food, and I... I just love plating it. I love, um, kind of fiddling with it and playing with the, the props if there are any. So for me, it was a very natural extension. Um, I've, I've always been familiar with 
with working a camera, but it wasn't until creating this cookbook that I really dove into reading my camera manual (laughs) and learning all the ins and outs of everything. So the biggest learning curve for me actually was the design. I, I had to lay out the book. I had to edit the photos in Photoshop and then do the editorial design, the images with the words together in Adobe InDesign. And that was the largest learning curve because I had no idea what I was doing. And those programs are really hard to teach yourself. You know, I, I did take some classes online, but essentially it took me five times longer than what it would take a normal graphic designer to do. Even the simple things like importing photos or changing the size of text like that. It took me way longer. (laughs) Wow. You are a force of nature. (laughs) Tell us about um, the crowdfunding and the self-publishing aspect. Yeah. So I, I always knew that I was going to self-publish because I wanted to have creative control over everything. I had a very, a very, um, a very strong vision of what I wanted the book to look like in terms of the cover and the, the fonts. And I knew I wanted large photos that, that bleed and that, there is an image per recipe and all that. So I, I didn't want to give up that creative control by going through a publishing house. And I also knew that this was my first cookbook. I wanted to be very proud to put my name on it. I wanted to be able to teach myself all the skills and do it all myself. So yeah, for me, um, self-publishing was great. And the one, the one big hurdle in self-publishing is you have to self-finance. So that's where the crowdfunding came in. What I did is I, I, um, ran a Kickstarter pre-order campaign in July, 2015. And those funds from the Kickstarter campaign, all of those pre-orders, that's what allowed me to initially print the first print run, which came out December, 2015. So that was incredible that it did really well. Um, I got a lot of local press during that time, which really built up the buzz six months before the book came out and the campaign was successful. And I, I ended up raising nearly $27,000 in pre-order sales. And yeah, I, I recommend it for anyone who is thinking about self-publishing to use specifically Kickstarter of all the crowdfunding platforms. It's just a really, really powerful tool to kickstart your project. On December 1st, 2015, this is incredible. Mm-hmm. You had a first run of 2,000 copies of the cookbook yeah. sent to your house. And yeah. in 20 days, that full inventory had been purchased. Yeah. That's crazy. What, I know. <laughs> was that when you realized, okay, this idea is really going to work. Yes, definitely. When I when I first decided to get 2000 copies, I honestly thought that that would last me for 5 years. I thought that I, you know, I I had pre-sold about 500 of those copies during the Kickstarter campaign, and then I figured, oh, well that was basically the the spike in sales and the buzz and everything. <laughs> That's, you know, it peaked kind of and then the sales will trickle for a couple of years. But um and I should also mention that 
when I, I started this project, it was just 100% passion project. I did not start out making a business. I did not start out thinking, Oh, I'm going to do multiple print runs. Like there was never, never something I had considered. So then when it sold out so quickly, I knew that there was a demand and people wanted to buy it again. And a lot of people were not able to get it before Christmas, um, because the inventory ran out. And so, yeah, that was definitely the the kicker of, oh, I'm onto something. I definitely need to reorder. I need to order way more than 2000. I need to be smart about how I order. And so, yeah, I just crunched a bunch of numbers and it ended up being that I needed to order 6,000 copies, um, which I've almost sold out of that. So a year, we're now a year and a half into the book being out. In total, I've sold about 8,000 copies. That's <laughs> and I already <incredible>. have, <laughs> thank you. And I already have another print run of 6,000 in storage ready to go because I'm probably going to sell out of the second print run in the next coming weeks. So, yeah, it's crazy. In the back of the cookbook, you have lovely short stories of farmers, food artisans, and chefs. In particular, mm-hmm. I was drawn to Javier Magana. Mm-hmm. Is that his name? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh-huh. His, his story. Uh, yeah. Talk a little bit about him. Yeah, so I love Javier. He runs Red Barn Farms based in Arroyo Grande. And um, the story that I I wrote about there was one of the first times that I met him and he is Hispanic and I am Mexican. And I remember going up to his table and he said, hi, mija, and just started talking to me. And mija in, in Spanish is, it's a blend of two words, which is mi hija, which means my daughter. Um, and in, in Hispanic culture, basically any, any, um, any elder will, will, will say that to a child or someone younger. Um, like even if you're not directly, literally related, um, so you say mija or mijo and it's, it just a, um, a term of endearment and it, it very much felt like, Oh, him and I were family like instantly. Um, and yeah, it's basically something that, you know, obviously parents and grandparents, but also aunts and uncles and neighbors and family friends and cousins, they'll all use that term. Um, so it very much feels like, Oh, everyone's my parent. Everyone's looking out for me. Everyone is connected somehow. And yeah, I just immediately felt like, Oh, Javier, him and I are going to be buddies. Cause this one little word that he said, I already feel like we are in the same tribe and on the same wavelength. Um, so yeah, he's lovely. He's a great person. Um, he grows everything and, um, he just has a heart of gold and his wife actually has a, a juicing business. And so he grows all the ingredients that she then juices. So I love, I love supporting them both and, they're just great people. And I'm, I'm really happy that he's in my life. <laughs> so at the farmer's market, she has the juice stall and then he has the produce stall. Exactly. Yeah. And sometimes, um, they'll just combine forces. And for example, if she is working at another market 
at his table, he'll have all the produce and then plus the juices. And so basically everything that's on the table, it's been, it's been picked that day or less than 24 hours ago. And it's also been juiced within 24 hours. So it's really fresh. You cannot get juice that is fresher than that. Alice Waters wrote a glowing quote on the cover of your cookbook. What's your connection with her? Yeah, I actually, I still have not met her in real life, but I am thrilled about the endorsement. I still can't believe it. I actually went to the cafe above Chez Panisse about a year ago with my husband. We were in Oakland going to a friend's wedding and before the wedding, we had lunch at the cafe. So I brought a copy with me in hopes that she would be there. Although nowadays she doesn't spend so much time in the kitchen because she's promoting her books or um, her other organization, the Edible Schoolyard Project. So anyways, I brought a book with me. And in the inside of the book, I wrote this long letter to her, basically thanking her for all the inspiration over the years. And I just... I love everything that she stands for and believes in and the message that she spreads. And so I brought that copy with me, had a delicious lunch, and then I gave it to the hostess who promised that she would give it to Alice's personal assistant who would then give it to Alice. And then several weeks went by and I, I did receive an email from the personal assistant and, um, on behalf of Alice, she was, you know, thanking me for the book. And, um, she said, Oh, Alice loves it. And she loves it for these reasons, ABC. And so I asked, I wrote back saying, Hey, would I, would I be able to use that quote? This is, this is like game changing for my career. And I would be so honored if I could use it. And she asked Alice and Alice said, yes. So, um, that's how, that's how that happened. And one day I'll get to meet her and I'm very excited for that day to come. <laughs> I'll be a total fangirl. You are the queen of self-promotion. I have to say you're so good at it. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm, I really, really love, um, telling, telling my story and hopefully inspiring others to self-publish their own cookbook. Um, I'm, I'm very open if anyone has any questions whatsoever. And yeah, I'm just, it was so exciting doing this cookbook all on my own and doing the writing and the photography and the design and then running the Kickstarter campaign. I now do all the fulfillment and I still do marketing and outreach like this. And yeah, it's just fun. I just, I believe in the book. I believe in the product. I am excited to share the 40 stories that are in here about all the farmers and chefs that I love in the area. So for me, it's, it's really easy to talk about and really easy to, to promote. And everyone just, everyone loves the book. And so it's very encouraging to keep sharing it. <laughs> yeah. It was so nice to meet you, you too. the week before last at Food Book Fair in New York City. Um, anyone that follows you on Instagram saw that you had quite a trip. What were some of your highlights? Yeah. Oh, and I still have so much more to share on Instagram. Really? Yeah. I have a huge (laughs) backlog. Yeah. Because, oh my gosh, I was everywhere before I left. I actually, um, I planned out every single 
meal that I was going to eat because there's so much good food in New York city and you know, the neighborhoods are kind of all spread out. And so, yeah, I knew exactly what, what I was eating for breakfast on Thursday, what I was eating for dinner on Saturday, who I was meeting up with. Um, so the highlights included, I really loved at the food book fair, there was a break, two breakfasts, one that was a collaboration between Liz Pruitt of Tartine Bakery in San Francisco and April Bloomfield. That was delicious. And then the second breakfast was between Julia Sherman of Salad for President. Her cookbook just came out. And the editor of Bon Appetit. Um, it was just so mind-blowing great. Um, salad for breakfast is my new favorite thing. And, um, yeah, I also went to Momofuku Noodle Bar. I went to... Russ and Daughters, the Jewish delicatessen. Gosh, just so many delicious things. Everyone needs to look at your Instagram. <laughs> you definitely made the most of this trip. Yeah, yeah. I was. I would leave my friend's apartment in Brooklyn Heights around 7 in the morning, and I wouldn't return until 8, 9, or 10 in the evening. I was just gone all day, walking the city, going to shops, meeting with friends, eating, going to the food book fair, all of it. So last week, I made the burrata salad with sweet peas, snap peas, and sugar peas on page 129. Mm -hmm. Usually burrata is so heavy, but in this dish, it worked with all of the greens. Oh, good. Yeah, I love that salad. It's very... It's, it's just a celebration of spring to me, especially with the lemon vinaigrette. It just really brightens everything up. It's so good. <laughs> this recipe is from Sally Luz. Talk a little bit about that cafe. Yeah, so my friends Brandon and Jen Manueli own that cafe. They actually opened it a few weeks before I left San Luis Obispo when I had finished. I went to university here. There's a, a college in San Luis Obispo, Cal Poly. Um, so I had graduated and then stuck around for a couple weeks before heading home and they had just opened their cafe within walking distance of my home. And I was so, so excited about this little neighborhood coffee shop. And initially they started as just a coffee shop and then they expanded to little bites and baked goods to now they have a full on menu. It's completely farm to table. I always see Brandon shopping at the farmer's markets and, um, they, they switch it up. They definitely have, I'd say about 50% of their menu is staple. It's available year round, but then they always have really good seasonal, um, daily specials. And this salad is one of them. It comes back on the menu every spring and I just adore it. It's like you said, it's very light. Um, it's, green it's refreshing it's yeah to me it's just spring on a plate and I love it and I'm so happy that they gave me the recipe especially for their lemon vinaigrette um and they're great it's like a little mom and pop cafe that supports local farmers and it's very community driven um Jen I, I like how she describes the cafe and that it's a safe third space Yes. And third space, meaning you have your first space, which is your home. You may have your second space, which is your, your work. 
Yeah, your office. And then you have a third space, which is basically like a communal living room. And it's somewhere that's public. It could, it's usually like a cafe or maybe for some it's a church or it's a park. Um, and so I like that that was her intention to create a safe third space for the community to hang out. And that's exactly how it feels. You walk into Sally Lou's and it kind of feels like your home. So what's up next for you? Yes. Um, definitely another cookbook. I am now deciding if, if I want to self publish again, or if I should go through a traditional publishing house. So I'm kind of exploring those two options and creating a big pros and cons list of what I should be doing. And the next cookbook has totally different subject matter than farmer's markets. Um, I can't tell you the content because I'm not telling anyone the content quite yet. Shoot. It's, <laughs> yeah. It's still, it's still no more. sneak peek. No, no, not yet. Um, yeah, but for me, I, it, it's important for me right now at the initial stages to, to figure out which way I'm going to go self-publishing or not. Um, cause that's a huge first step. So once I know that for certain, then I'll likely be sharing little teasers or tidbits about what, what the next idea is. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> Thank you. Where can we find you on the web? Yeah, you can go to my own website, which is KendraAronson.com. That's K-E-N-D-R-A-A-R-O-N-S-O-N.com. And, or you can go to the cookbook's website, which is slow, S-L-O, farmersmarketcookbook.com and I'm on Instagram at Kendra Aronson and the hashtag is hashtag slow farmers market cookbook. Thank you so much Kendra for coming on cookery by the book podcast. Yeah thank you thank you for having me it was so fun to meet you at the food book fair. Subscribe in iTunes and follow me on Instagram at cookery by the book on Twitter at I am Susie Chase. Thank you so much for listening to Cookery by the Book podcast.